Welcome to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. Featuring Aaron Castro in Arizona, Liam Poach in Boston, and Craig Gradelli in New York City. For those of you new to the podcast, each week the guys share news, views, and abuse from Major League Rugby, the United States Professional Rugby Union, along with information on the USA national team. With all that said, let's get on with the show. We're live. Welcome to Your Full of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast. Uh, I'm live here with uh, Liam Poach at Poacher Rugby. I'm Aaron Castro. You can find me on Twitter at the Strobro. Uh, it's uh, you know great time uh, when it when it comes to that. Uh, but uh, you know how how'd your week go, I Liam? I know that uh, you uh, seem to be growing a rugby beard, but still can't grow a mustache. Are you Amish? Uh, no, I, I purposely keep the mustache short. I, I something about mustaches, uh, you know, just don't blend well blend well with my face. But I mean. Honestly, beards don't blend too well with my face. Like, you know, I always say that I'm growing it out, you know, for the winter or something like that. No, it's laziness, pure laziness. But uh, my week was going pretty well until, you know, the uh, about midnight on Saturday night when the Free Jacks fell to the Seattle Seawolves. We'll discuss that a little later on the show. Uh, but other than that, I'm I'm doing just fine and dandy. Aaron, how are you doing? Well, it's been pretty good. Today I had a midterm, so that kind of... I mean, I got in the way a little bit of some work today. Just the word uh, midterm gives me anxiety. I drove by my old high school today and just got this weird feeling in the pit of my stomach like I was forgetting something. That's funny. <laughs> that That's funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, when it, when it comes to going to grad school, I can't say uh, I'm too enthused about all that. Maybe it's just different. Maybe, you know... It is what it is overall, but uh, yeah, to dig into some of the, I guess, things that we could talk about, well, uh, it was an interesting week in rugby, per se, Uh, mostly, uh, I think the LA7s tended to work out pretty well Uh, on day one, they had, I think it was 17 thousand people uh, come through the gate. And yesterday, I think they had about 14,000 come through the gate. So for them, I think they, they hit whatever target they needed to hit because at 17,000, eight, since AEG owns the facility and all that stuff, um, they're breaking even um, at 14,000. They're probably breaking even too. So I think it was a successful move uh, when you then incorporate all of the upgrades and facilities that athletes get that are going to participate in this tournament. Uh, it, it, it's, it's great. It, you know, there's really, it's a professional facility uh, used by two professional teams uh, on a day-to-day basis during their season. So, you know, I, I would say the move to LA was, was not horrible. I mean, especially if you look at Sydney sevens or Hamilton sevens or Singapore, where no one goes to those game goes to those tournaments. Yeah, um, de- yeah, it, it it was definitely uh good good for the USA rugby community, especially when you consider that there's been some shortcomings in terms of marketing in the last couple of years for several different events. Won't won't go into a uh, big deep dive on any of that, but uh, considering the seventeen thousand and fourteen thousand figures going through the gate, again, like you said, at least you're at the very least breaking even in that regard. So, you know, at, at least at least. You know, at least making no money is not losing money. I guess uh, yeah. is is a good way to look at it. I mean, there's there's a lot of ways to sort of look at that and stuff, but it, well, you know, everyone talked about Vegas. Uh, I think there was always going to be a drop when it when it came to attendance, and it was going to be a two day tournament, not a three day tournament. So you don't have that third day to sell tickets. But overall, uh, you know. As we go forward, you're going to build this thing uh, year on year, and when we get to the Olympics, no one's, everyone's going to think about, you know, LA Sevens as the congregating point um, for rugby in the U.S. So, and it's definitely going to get brought up again, you know, by the time and you know four to eight years when the USA is talking about a, a rugby World Cup bid again. 
and but by, by by again, I mean the conversation always comes up every time the <laughs> every time the Rugby World Cup comes around. They're like, could we possibly host in the United States? I yeah, I, I'm not. We, we, we conceivably yes, but slow your roll. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not looking at it in that respect. It's more so was this success? Was the move successful? I think the move was successful. It wasn't the prognosticated disaster that many people thought to say because it wasn't in Vegas, all these inner, I was like, you know, the reality is if you're going to Vegas, like people talk about Vegas being an entertainment destination, but if you're going there for rugby and you're actually there for the rugby and you're there all day. So you're out in the, out in the sun all day. And then the session ends, I think like nine o'clock on Saturday, are you going to take advantage of all Vegas has to offer to the point where, you and you will also be there at 9 a.m. the next day, probably not, right? So it is what. Oh, it why is. is there a big nightlife in Vegas or something like that? Oh, there, there. I, I heard, uh, you know, Keith Urban residency is pretty is hopping right now. <laughs> uh, that actually, so like when when McGregor won his last fight, right? Keith, the Keith Urban residency got out at the same time. It was like it was like a sprawl. It was kind of wild. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so that's LA sevens. Uh, thanks for listening to us to kind of blabber out, uh, uh, the U S went into the quarterfinal against South Africa, South Africa beat us. I think it was by two and, uh, well, they ended up winning the tournament. So I'm not going to say you good year for South Africa on the whole, wouldn't you say, (laughs) but I would say we've got some things to work on. Uh, we looked a lot better in this tournament overall, to be honest, than we had been. But uh, let's get into match one of Major League Rugby, which was uh, San Diego traveled to New Orleans, uh, and the Legion won the match 25-21. to 21. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I thought this was a vastly entertaining game. Um, I thought it was good to see two teams that are in the upper echelon of the league in terms of passing efficiency facing off. Uh, However, in this game, it was the Legion who would actually get the edge in that regard. Over 700 meters with an average uh, meters per pass mark of 5.1 compared to Nola's mark of just 4.2. So, but the most glaring stat line in uh, in this matchup was the one that was probably most notable to viewers at home, which is that San Diego ended up controlling about 55% of the possession to go along with a 70% rate uh, in the territory. So the reason I think that is the San Diego squad, they really seem to be on the same page week to week when it comes to the kind of pace they want to play, you know, which in turn leads to an easier time for the players to focus on making the right decisions within the system, which in turn leads to more guys being in the right places at the right time to be just you know, outright effective. Um, in terms of their passing game, it looks really smooth. The guys are finding the gaps. Nola's defense wasn't even, you know, like awful or bad at, in particular on Saturday either. But when the San Diego tag is working like as efficiently as they were on, on a pass per pass basis, it's, you know, it, it's almost inevitable that they're eventually going to find the weak link in the opponent's defensive shift, uh, you know, which, you know, they found five, by the way, in terms of five line line breaks three coming by way of Mr. Nanu who finished the match with a total of 93 meters and two tries. So funny thing though, actually Nola actually beat San Diego in terms of quick ball rate. Scott Gale was, uh, he he was pretty efficient at the, at the breakdown 72% mark in that metric. Unfortunately, like I said, it kind of comes down to a pass by pass effectiveness and Nola just kind of came up a little bit short in that regard. 72% for quick ball rate is kind of stupid. That is that is fast. So, I, I, I mean, I, I like to see a quick ball rate around 55 to 60%. I think like the 40s are a little are a little bit too low. 70s like like you said, unless you know, unless the the, the other team's defense is really faltering, um in, in terms of getting their shifts right, I just I don't see how that can be effective. You're probably you, I, I would expect, you know, you, you see that their MVP is 4.2 the league average so far has been a, a little bit over five uh, th- this season. So, you know, th- th- those passes weren't exactly being effective. Well, uh, and you could see that with meters gained. I think the one team that would be able to outpass you in general, at least in season two, was uh, 
was Glendale, now Colorado, and they would pass, they would throw the rock around. But their biggest problem was, is they had a lot. Of, they would just turn the ball over on all those passes. And uh, but they also for, had a pretty veteran scrum half for most of the season in uh, yeah. in Davies. For for San Diego though, they you know they t- they tightened up their discipline. They conceded less penalties. Uh, they yeah you know. They were about the same uh, when it came to scrums or lineouts. One, uh, this game was relatively even, except in meters made, and you know what they were doing. Were they? I think they were more efficient on what they wanted to do with their kicks. Uh, Nonu is just a. I wonder why Nonu was never a fly half because he is like when it comes to his passing. He's very efficient. Um, in, in, in American rugby, I feel like he could conceivably play any position along the back row, including, you know, flanker row. and eight along, man. Along the back row, you really think he – come on, man. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think Dev Ferris did a pretty good job again this week uh, filling in for Nate Augsburger. Uh, the Legion's quick ball rate didn't drop. I mean, they're, they're moving fast too, 67%. That's, uh, you know – when it comes to teams that aren't wasting time at the breakdown to try and milk some of the clock, uh, neither of these teams did so, which is if you want to see some things uh, that that's been important. I think the biggest one for me in this game was the front row change because at, uh, I think Peter Malcolm was struggling somewhat in his line out throwing. Uh, Paul Mullen was actually struggling a bit against Matt Harmon, even though Matt Harmon conceded penalties against Paul Mullen, but he was still kind of struggling. Uh, Did Deaver come in at the uh, at the beginning of the first half or shortly after um, the start of it? The the whole front. Hey, thanks for watching, Amy. The whole front row changed. Like they they didn't they started a completely different front row in the second half. It it was uh, Deaver, Mir, and Aaron Mitchell. And this is the most we've gotten to see of Aaron Mitchell. But if you didn't like what you saw from Aaron Mitchell, oh my gosh, like he he was scrumming, like he could he was doing very well at the tight head spot, uh, you know, in, in this matchup against Dina Waldron for a little bit, and then against Ben Tarr. So, uh, really, I think for the most part, what we've seen is San Diego is. I, I would say is the most complete team. Uh, and they're, you're now getting down to getting all of your pieces together. Well, uh, it was interesting to see, you know, JP Duplessis leave the pitch early and how that would affect the way they played the game. But uh, that, I think that injury looked kind of bad too. You could see that there was some pain on his face as he left. Uh, I, I think, I mean, the it will be interesting to see this week because I wonder. Nonu also left with an injury. I wonder how long they'll be, uh, you know, out or if they'll be out at all. Because what I've learned in rugby and just playing sports in general is that things look worse than they are because somebody was like, you know, he might have bra- broke it, but he might have sprained it because, like, the it's impressive to see how malleable bones are <laughs> but yeah you know pretty good game uh what what one of the ones i would call a classic it was much more fun than the gilgronies game that was also going on at the same time um which we'll get to i guess right now yeah um, take a uh t- take a re- take a quick guess at what game i chose to watch or you know sorry pay pay more attention to i guess well, i had it on my phone i mean it did get exciting for you Late in the first half. Oh yeah, you know definitely the the, the comeback started to come. Um, you know I had I had both of these games on. Like I said, I had both these games on at one point, but then once I saw the Old Glory was blowing them out, I switched to the San Diego Nola game. And then it was you who actually, you know, you said something in the group chat like along the lines of like, "Wow, Austin." And I was like, "Meh." So I switched back on, and they're like within seven points, and I was like. This might be the comeback, and it, it wasn't the comeback. This is the game. I mean, <laughs> I I really hope in in a lot of the same ways that they had the ability in season two to win a game. We put the over under at two and a half. They're showing us more that they have the ability to win 
so far early in this season in the first four weeks than they did last year. Uh, and, but in a lot of ways, do they not just remind you of that team that will give you hope and then just fall apart? Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> I, I, I talked to Owen Hunt on the New England Free Jacks all the time about the Cleveland Browns. And so, and he's a, he, he's a proud Buckeye and Browns fan. And I have a, this weird affinity for, for, for the team after the Patriots. So yeah, I could, I, from, from that perspective, you know, the Browns like the Gilgronies, they will always give their fans hope. They'll always make these exciting moves in the off season, change some stuff. You know, they've got that orange theme going for them. So I guess there's the connection there. They'll change owner or no, no sorry, not change owners, but change coaches, change every, everything, but they will still be the same old team, same old Austin, same old Cleveland. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think they're gonna go winless, but man. No, well, I mean that that that's already guaranteed because <laughs> well, they tied, baby. That's, well, a, yeah, a tie yeah. is a tie, especially in rugby. You get some sort of points for it in the eventual, you hey, know. Hey, Rick. Well, well, so they have more points now, I think, on the table than they had in in season two. So they are leaps and bounds better. The question is. When will they put it all together? I think they're close, but I, I'm not going to pick them this week this time. Yeah, I didn't pick them last week, but I was stupid enough to change my pick in Super Brew when I saw the Beast wasn't playing because I thought um, – That he would make well, that much of a difference? Well, I thought that they Jake Turnbull wouldn't have a good game because he didn't have a good game against Nola when he started and had to play a lot of minutes. And Jake Turnbull ended up having a really good game in the scrum. It was, it was a bit surprising, and he went the distance, so good for him. Um, you know, and I think he'll get better playing with the Beast. So uh, mm-hmm. there's that. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, so some quick stats just for the viewers out there, because in America, love the statistics. Uh, you know, uh, Austin, they actually beat out D.C. Uh, in terms of possession and territory ratings, garnering 57% and 52% respectively in those areas. So D.C., they did win the battle for more meters, just barely uh, accumulating 724 compared to 710 from Austin. But uh, once again, um, you know, both teams, uh, P- Peterson came through big for D.C. because both teams only got three tries apiece, but his three penalty conversions where three more than Austin was able to get all game. So that is really what put them over the edge. So that team now owing pretty much two wins to the, uh, to the boot of Peterson. Yeah. Uh, if you look at Jason Robertson and Danny Tusatala, they are. Playing. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Was I saying yeah, Peterson? Was I saying Peterson? I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I have Joe Peterson on the brain, man. <laughs> well, who does? I have, uh, I know, right? But that, that, that hair in San Diego, man, just flowing like a surfer. But no, yeah, sorry, Jason Robertson, not Peterson from DC. And if you look at, if you want to know how Austin got back in this game, it's pretty simple. Uh, DC couldn't hold on to the ball either. Uh, and they conceded a lot more penalties. In some ways, they kind of. It, if you just look at the statistics, you're like, oh, they're kind of like San Diego. They'll concede a ton of penalties, but they're still good enough. It's a little bit different than that, and I mean a little bit. Uh, but I would say Mungo Mason, a guy like him, he's willing this team. Jamison Fiona Schultz, he had a good game. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you just the, – I would say as a halfback pairing – no other halfback pairing is playing right now as well as Dave Tustala and Jason Robertson. Uh, he, and, you know, one of the things that people have talked about, like their their quick ball rate was 70%. What the heck? I mean, so there's a, I, there's a lot of things to work on. Uh, one of the things that I did like to see was Austin won 100% of their scrums. Uh, old glory is still, still trucking. They, they were in the eighties again this week. So good for them. Uh, but it's, it's not really about, uh, what they're doing up front that like the back row is playing well in the open, open field, but their halfbacks are just managing this game and getting the balls out wide to guys like, uh, you know, Declan O'Donnell, 
uh, Threaten Paloma played pretty well. And then also Dylan Taikato Simpson, uh, you know, he had, he had a good amount of time as well um, w- with the ball in hand. So, but I think it was a bit of a close shave for Andrew Douglas's side. Uh, however, they're three and one. Who would have thought that, that Austin would be oh and four? Oh no! Oh, the way we have it is like oh three and one because you get points for a tie rather than having the tie in the middle. It's kind of strange, but um. Yeah, I, I mean, if if I, I wouldn't try to do math on the air right now, I, I would just make myself. But but three and one for Old Glory DC. I think with twenty five percent of the schedule over. They're where they want to be, so good for them. Um, but uh, moving on to the good old Colorado Raptors, now out there giving me people like me hope that the Raptors might be back. I, I don't know about that, but th- there was some interesting commentary in this game, and I was like, okay, but why would you do that? Not not that why would you say that, but apparently um Peter Borlays and the attack coach whose name I forget have chosen to junk the one three two two, which they had installed last season and built upon in the preseason, and go back to the one three three one, which is what Glendale Rain in season one. So we're going back to the old, the system of old, the system, the attack shape that Glendale built their dynasty on. We're going all the way back. And the big, the thing is, is like the teams that have been great with the one, three, three, one. Let's, let's look at them. Like uh, the old Wallabies were pretty good, but South Africa in this tournament. Oh my gosh! You know, you know how what kind of monsters they have in the forwards, like Eben Etzebeth, who's like six foot seven, two hundred eighty pounds, and could probably play like back in the United States because he's really skilled. I mean, he's used like a, a battering ram, but he's really skilled. He he can pass the ball around like no other. Um, but uh, yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting game. Uh, even I would say that the way Utah tried playing, um, they played the territory game. They kicked the ball deep and played really good defense. A lot of really good defense, keeping Colorado deep in their own half for a while, and then uh, it just fell apart. And uh, over time, Glendale started scoring. I mean, you could if you don't take every possession you got and try to get some type of offense going, it's going to hurt you. And they gave up possession a lot. They just kicked it away. And they took away scoring opportunities from themselves because they couldn't really generate a go forward out of their own half. And instead of, holding on to the ball and trying to make something happen. They just were hoping that Colorado would turn the ball over deep in their own half playing pod rugby. And it never happened. Yeah. So I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I thought this game was actually a little bit boring for some of the reasons that you said, I, I, I'm not a big fan of the whole kicking, uh, kicking the ball away at, at the breakdown, especially when you're like at the halfway point but from, anyway, a technical, from a technical kicking perspective if i was one of those people which i'm not it was kind of <laughs> which it was, uh, it, it, well i i'm at this point i'm kind of a junkie just to watch tactics like if you were into the tactical kicking game it was kind of interesting to watch because colorado i would say was more tactical in their kicking and Utah was just hoping that Colorado would turn over the ball. That was it. You know, at least Colorado, especially on the, with Mason Emerson, who would take the ball out from deep and he would be like, he's an attacking fullback. He's not much of a kicker like DTS was DTS. He's an attacking fullback, all, but 
He has a boot that can do things. I think Mason Emerson got very pissed off in this game because he just went off and, you know, put up 218 meters by himself. Yeah. No, uh, it, it was definitely really good to see the Colorado uh, Raptors actually revving their engines uh, in, in this game and getting that attack going. I also like the fact that Renee Ranger uh, seemed to have himself a game. I like the fact that he was getting a little bit more involved in the attack after – I don't know. I, I felt that like he was uh, he was kind of anonymous in the in the first few weeks of this season. Um, anyway, revving that engine for the Raptors uh, that led led to them outpacing Utah by over a hundred meters, averaging about five and a half meters per pass compared to just five even from Utah. Uh, both these teams they were pretty slow at the rock, only fifty seven percent apiece in the uh, in quick ball rating. But again, I kind of like to see you know the the fifty uh, fifty to sixty percent range uh, in terms of a league average. Uh, but Colorado they were actually able to turn. Uh, uh, t- turn up two steals at the breakdown. So that gave him a little bit more chance at, at, at possession. Looking at the set piece, uh, Utah actually comes out, out out of this one looking pretty good in just about every metric except one. They did allow they, they did allow a steal to Colorado, but they're still scoring. Sorry, what was that? Scoring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, they they they, 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 they looked. Hey man, n- n- num- numbers are numbers, but anyway. Uh, they won 100% of their scrums compared to just 89% from Colorado, 92% mark in the lineup compared to just 87% from the Raptors. Um, however, when looking back on the ground production, you can see where Colorado's real dominance came in. Like you were saying, Mason Emerson had himself a game. Johnny Ryberg as well, uh, 11 carries apiece, 218 meters for Emerson, 111 for my uh, for Ryberg. Emerson uh, managed to get himself a try, just like you mentioned, while the aforementioned uh, Renee Ranger had himself two. He didn't exactly light up the stat sheet in terms of total meters gained, but again, scoring is scoring, and putting me put, putting putting points points on the board is what this Raptors squad needs to do. Uh, Utah, perhaps unsurprising after hearing all that, only eighty four percent on the tackle rate. That's actually pretty low when you, when when you, uh, all things considered uh, how the league has been going this season. Um, you know, if you were, if you watched the game, you would probably attribute that though to the huge gaps they, they were leaving open on defense, uh, there, cause their, their defensive shift was very slow all game. Just, and considering that this Raptors squad hasn't exactly been, you know, champagne, you know, fast paced rugby all season, that was a little surprising. Yeah, it's, it, it was, uh, for Colorado to get on the front foot, it was, it was very important in this game, uh, kind of disappointing uh with uh what i saw from utah i wanted to see more but they just they just kept kicking the ball away so uh, moving on to game four which was the nightcap of saturday seattle hosted the neff yep so this game was scheduled for 10 p.m it didn't uh, get started until 10 30 p.m eastern standard time because of oh, the, the, the worst delay. part about this game the worst part about this game, before we get into the actual worst part, was that my YouTube TV did not update, so I was stuck on the uh, I was stuck on whatever they had the the San Diego Free Jacks game on as uh, sort of like filler, and so I was like fuck five minutes behind and I'm like, I'm texting people. I was like, what the frick is going on? Like it just didn't update. And so I had to like back out and go in go back in. And then the game was there and I was like, Oh my God. But yeah, thank But I think that wasn't just YouTube TV. I think FS2 was all whack. Um, in regards to updating their feed. So, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think it also had a lot to do with the lightning delay. Well, yeah, I mean, that would, yeah. that would, the, the, you know, let's put this other thing on, you know, while we fill it, <laughs> you know, right. Did, 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 did you want to leave like, you know, the, the commentators is trying to, you know, spit, you know, like small talk, like in the 30 minutes. So what, what did you eat the breakfast today, Mike? <laughs> I, I, I didn't want to hear any more of that than that was actually necessary. So, Anyway, I guess what four straight weeks on the road will do to you is it'll force you to give up a 14 to nothing lead. Uh, but then again, to- 10 total tries in this game with each team scoring five apiece. So it was definitely an, uh, you know, an exciting affair as a whole. 
Uh, I thought the Free Jacks, they came out really strong in this one. In particular, I thought the ball carriers looked pretty explosive and decisive coming into their phases, while guys like Sam Beard and Mitch Wilson especially really ate it up in terms of total meters, 54 and 75 meters respectively uh, from them a piece. Uh, Beard's stat line, it might not seem like he lit it up. I was talking to you, Aaron, a little earlier about this before we went on the air, but he had some large chunks of meters that he picked up in a few instances that really started off some drives on the right foot particularly tighter right around the, around the breakdown. Unfortunately for the Jacks, the Seawolves, they began to put it together in the second half when the Jacks started making a lot more mistakes, a lot more penalties, in particular uh, a yellow card to Posa Wakanibau. That led to them controlling a good deal of the second half's possession, ending the game with a 55% mark in that respect to go along with a 51% mark in territory. So meanwhile, in the set piece where Seattle really put it together, three lineout steals, two coming in the second half, 100% win rate in the scrum compared to just 75% from New England, uh, who's still missing a, a couple key figures uh, uh, from injury, uh, in particular, uh, Kensuke Hadakiyama uh, and Tony Papura. Then in the back line, tag leader is still missing, as well as Liam Steele. So a lot of key pieces to that starting lineup uh, still were able to go up 14-0 on the defending champs. Uh, I'm, I'm still feeling good good about the squad. Still averaging 29 points a game, which is one of the highest uh, metrics in the league in that regard. But it's just in terms of finishing games and just staying on top when you have the chance. The, it was very interesting. You want a tip um, for your team, Liam? Yeah, sure, man. I'll pass it on. Um, don't um, commit seven penalties in 11 minutes. Oh yeah, it, it, is that what you got to do? Oh, dude, I'm I'm texting Larson right now. Man. <laughs> I got this scoop, <laughs> especially when one of them's a yellow card. Okay, yeah. that I, well, you know, but, but to, to be fair though, I wouldn't be texting Josh Larson. I'd be putting like a note in a bottle of Canadian syrup and just you know putting it <laughs> into the ocean. I think it'll just float up to Halifax. They that goes into the Canadian mail system. It gets sent to him. I don't know how the whole thing works, and but. it comes back. I, I think one of the yeah. things for the the Free Jacks was especially towards uh, I would say the back half of the first half. And in the second half, part part of this is because of Seattle's defense, but your quick your your ruck speed just slowed the heck down, and it really didn't help with what based on the tempo that you played with in the first half to get those two tries, and you know just to, the way you were playing uh, away from the set piece in the first half uh, against the strength. Like around, not against, but around the strengths of Seattle was sort of the key to winning, I think. But for Seattle, it it was uh, wouldn't call it strange because it was strange because it was different from the previous games. The biggest one for them is just having a a fly half at the level that Ben Sema is. It, it for into. I like uh, Scott Dean as a a prospect. You know, I, I really do. Uh, do the games come on YouTube TV? Uh, Carter DiMaggio. Um, you need to have ESPN Plus for some games, uh, but YouTube TV gets you access to all the national games. So that's CBS Sports. That is uh, FS2 and ESPN news. So there's like 51 national games on this year at some point there, you know, but so you'll need, if you want to watch, if you're going to be a junkie and you want to watch every game that that's what you will need. However, towards the end of the week, MLR has been really sweet about uploading games to regular YouTube. So check that out as well. Um, Will Nola Gold be a playoff team? I'll answer that at the end of the show. Uh, but the biggest thing for me in this game was, so Shalom Sumiula is like a top center for them, but he was their fourth fly half. Uh, Scott Dean, who did not play in this game, uh, I really like as a prospect. I think he needs a lot more high-level time so that he can continue to develop. So not having him on the roster doesn't really help you. He might be injured, though, so I'd need to check in on that. Uh, but, uh, if you can have a, a fly half level of SEMA, um, cause he has gotten better 
that base. I mean, te- we, 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 we usually do. His name is Tag Leader. You know, not, not, not to say, and here's the thing: not to say that Tim Geeman's even bad. I think Tim Tim is a Tim is a great player. He's a really swell guy. Unfortunately, yeah, there were there were some points. Geeman, I would say the drop off between one and two in in New England. Geeman's a good fly off. I I I don't think they're. We don't even need to talk about Tag until he's fit. Uh, Tag can play, but I'm talking about Seattle specifically compared to where they were and. It, it, it is worth noting, too, that it's not a, a lower body injury or even an upper body injury uh, for tag leader. It's, a, it's uh, it, you know, it, it was a head injury. So there's nothing. Oh, I, you know, are you saying, nothing, I thought you were saying he has IBS. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> yeah but th- there's nothing, you know, uh, debilitating really about this. In- oh, not, not to say that, that, that like, you know, that an uh, injury to the head isn't debilitating. It's, you know, it, it's serious and there's reasons that the team is taking precautions. But, you know, he's not going to be losing any leg strength or, you know, you know uh, physical mobility from this injury moving forward. But as I was saying, I don't yeah. care about tag leader right now. I care <laughs> about Ben Zima. Uh, would you take Ben Sima and he's ready and he's fit and he's playing like that? Uh, it, it takes a lot of pressure off JP Smith and JP Smith basically had to play fly half and scrum half last game. He had a lot of pressure on him. He had to play, he had to kick a lot in play. Uh, he had to play defense in places that he didn't normally play at. But when you can get JP and Sima's, uh, chemistry where it's at and then you can put Shalom Suniula as a distributor at inside center that changes things up for your entire attack and we, we saw we saw that especially in the second half I wonder uh you know based on who their pick for outside center is gonna be I really think that George Parton is sort of that that guy you want there uh and then on the wing it was interesting to see uh Tibbs is fit. He's back. He scored a try. Uh, all all that fun stuff. But does that not say there's depth issues if you have to go pull Peter Tiberio off the retirement block? But I did say to him, to his face in San Diego, I was like, "You're coming back, right?" Like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, I mean, he he was one of the top scorers in the league yeah. uh, from both from years uh, one and two. Yeah. So I was kind of pit. I was kind of annoyed that he decided to retire. And now that he's unretired, I, I can be annoyed that he decided to unretire. I, yeah, I in, instant leader in the locker room as well. Yeah. So so him coming in late, uh, you know, just just give Tiberio the ball. He'll score. Happens all the time. So uh, really. A lot better from the Seawolves. They were better in the scrum. They were better in the lineouts. They were better in defense. They had the attitude that they needed to to win this one. I wouldn't say we don't know what the Free Jacks are right now. I would say that if you're the last place team in the East, you would be the second place team in the West. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so, considering uh, it's it's the, they were able to secure the bonus point with four plus tries, uh, so they're up to eight table points at the moment. Uh, currently sitting overall in the league at in sixth place, I believe. So yeah, uh, that 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 says how I think the the Free Jacks will be all right. The problem is is that the East is so competitive right now for that third spot. Heck, for the second and third spot because Toronto is just by themselves you know, sipping a Mai Tai, uh, you know, undefeated in, in the East. But moving on to Sunday's first match, which was, of course, Toronto versus Atlanta. Yeah, so I was writing my match report for the majority of the game. <laughs> but anyway, uh, just in terms of in terms of table points, uh, standings, and, and a whole other lot of things, Toronto, they're clearly the class of the East right now, I, I would say. Uh, and many people are, you know, are already saying that they're on a collision course with San Diego. Speaking of San Diego, <clears throat> sorry, I see a lot of similarities between the two squads as well, especially in regards just to the general offensive flow of the attack. I feel like both of these teams, they have a real offensive identity, uh, you know, thanks to this an overall roster chemistry, chemistry that lets them operate in sync with one another, just staying on the same page. Uh, this week, I thought Toronto they displayed a lot of that again. You know, just putting a, uh, put putting down an early ATL lead and just not letting it get away after they did. 
Uh, ATL, meanwhile, some great phases on the attack. I'm really loving uh, Wheeler, uh, Wheeler and Davidson, uh, you know, uh, as a pairing on the back line. But there's some stuff that they definitely need to clean up. In particular, uh, you know, this this is one thing I noticed. They were pl playing pretty shallow on the back, back line, uh, you know, when they were in a rush in the second half. I felt like there were some phases where there was guys getting a little bit ahead of themselves in terms of their positioning, and that kind of, you know, kept them out of position from moving, you know, too fluidly. Toronto, not so much. I like, like I said, I like how this team has a real clear idea about who they are and how they operate, and I think that's going to lead to w them winning a lot more games. Yeah, uh, th this, you know, Toronto is just really good. And you look at this team, and they didn't do the same thing San Diego did, which was change their front row immediately in the second half. I think I would have, especially with the way Quatrin and Brewer played. Jeez. Like, the uh, with Quatrin coming on, set piece completely changed. Like, the lineout was good. Uh, when Stephen Ng was playing, the lineout was not so good. Um, the scrum got better, but when Brewer came on, the the scrum for Atlanta basically disintegrated. Uh, it was kind of impressive to to see what they were able to do. And this was a rapid Brewer's, deterioration. This was Brewer's first game um, of the season. Uh, you know the old the old war horse. He's just getting it done. Uh, but you like that term, don't you, war horse? <laughs> And old, you know, that's uh, that, that's <laughs> why horse. if you look at like loose heads in this league that are, you know, old, some old war horses, like uh, last year, Hubert Biden's was the oldest player in the league. Mm -hmm. And then now I think Robert Brewer might be tied with somebody for being the oldest player. Player in the league, like, but I feel like the old war horse is the name of a cleat that's underneath the floorboards <laughs> of, a, of a clubhouse that, you know, the rookies shoot the beer out of or something like that. <laughs> So when it comes somebody to, go get the old war horse. When it comes to player discipline, Toronto continues to be one of the most disciplined teams in the league. They don't give up a lot of penalties. Fewest penalties in the lead, the league, by the way. Yeah. So, and you know, it, it's just good for them. Uh, they the 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 Uruguayans just they just did they the Uruguayans by themselves did uh Atlanta dirty. Uh Sam Malcolm only had four points, but Miras had a try, Levas had two tries, and De La Vega had a try. So basically all of the scoring was because of a Uruguayan uh <laughs> on the on, on the Toronto team. So that shows how Big of weapons, Levas, Mirez, De La Vega are. I think for some reason I felt like that they were underestimated, at least by the commentators. Um, and uh, but uh, it was it was a really good game, uh, especially with the way Atlanta was playing early and how long it took uh, Toronto to kind of figure it out. Uh, overall. Um, you know, uh, we're we're continuing to see development from Duncan Van Schalkwick as a scrum half. Uh, Ross Deacon is playing well. Matt Heaton, who is a Canadian, is you know leading this Atlanta team, and, and they've got a lot of pieces that will push this you know this team forward. Uh, how strong they are! It's it's really impressive to see how strong Atlanta is. Uh, when you pair them up against, say, a Toronto. But who gets that third spot in the East? I, I really don't know right now because, uh, you know, conceivably the Free Jacks are still strong enough, especially when you get your first first choice front row back. Uh, but for the Arrows, I mean, <laughs> another, like, pretty complete performance. There's not really much to, to sort of, you know, tear apart. Uh, they were consistent throughout the entire game and that's sort of how they played uh, and got back into this. Yeah. So which, how, how likely would you say at this point uh, is, is a collision course with Toronto and San Diego at the end of the, uh, at the end of the year? Uh, it's, it's, it's not a hundred percent, but I would say more likely than not. More likely than not, 
preponderance of the evidence, as they would say uh, in the uh, in in civil law. Um, <laughs> more like it's more likely than not that at four and zero, both teams four and zero, playing some pretty strong opposition. That that they are going to be your two finalists. I don't. I think that they've also provided themselves enough cushion early to where if they did stumble, it wouldn't take them out of the playoffs. It wouldn't even take them out of the, the like the two seed, uh, even though that would make them have to play another playoff game. I they are both in the driver's seat of their conference. All right. So one more game left on the docket to talk about here. Yeah. So, so New York versus Houston. Fi- New York has been finding ways to win. That is the best way to put it. They've been finding ways to win. They've they've had some tough opposition last week in Atlanta. They, they found a way to win by three points. Oh, what is it with teams scoring 22 points in this league? That seems to be the magic number. I, I, you know, before next show, I'm going to go back and count how many uh, how many teams have ended the game with 22 points, whether or not it's been a win or a loss. But yeah, it's it's kind of like Jim Carrey in the uh, in the number 23, just you know minus one. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, just, just just exactly like that. So um, I actually had called Houston to win this one, but from the first half, uh, it it was pretty clear that that. Wasn't happening. Rooney, I thought they showed a lot more hustle early on, and Houston just didn't seem to be able to get things going on the attack with, uh, you know, much consistency, although there was definitely some big plays and big runs here and there. Uh, however, when you look at the stat line, um, Houston, they actually outgained Rooney by over 100 meters, managing an MPP of 4.8. Rooney, meanwhile, saw some big uh, big nights from Honko and Foden. Uh, they put up 169 and 102 meters, respectively. I'm sure, Aaron, you're going to talk about Honko. Uh, a whole lot when you get the chance. Um, this The team as a whole, they managed MPP of five even. So Houston definitely, they had the chances to come up with more points. 15 penalties given up by Rooney compared to just seven from the Cats. However, 67% win rate in the scrum was the uncharacteristic difference maker for Houston uh, against a Rooney pack that was actually doing so great on the a lot of their initial engagements in the scrum last night. Defensively, uh, Rooney is still looking good after the number two overall finish uh, um, in the league for defense last season, especially for the North Shore kid, Nate Brakely. I just want to highlight some of his numbers on the night. Uh, He didn't exactly light up the offensive stat sheet, but 28 tackle attempts, 28 tackles made. That's 100% folks to go along with eight tackle assists. The guy's work rate was through the roof. And despite the fact that he's not blowing up the sheet, like I said, on offense, I feel like a big part of Rooney's success is how Brakely does on a game by game uh, basis in the defensive phases. Yeah, this, I mean, Nate Brakely is just a monster. Yeah. No, I should have a kid. Uh, how many turnovers, Amy? Uh, give me Uno Momento. I was they just had... looking like that. So they had uh, 11, 11 both, apiece. Both, both teams conceded, yeah. And then New York conceded more penalties. So that, like, the, their comeback is just a bit more surprising. Uh, and I think if you look at it and what happened is with the territory game, and they made a lot of tackles. They made 196 tackles. So it's all based on where those t- tackles were and forcing like Dewet Ruse to kick out. Uh, I think not having T and Lutz at 12 really hurt them. Uh, to be honest, I know that Taylor Howden, you know, he another old battered warhorse. He put in 80 minutes. He looked fit, but not having T and Lutz, I think whether it was at 12 or in place of Marani, uh, who actually played decently well, but he left early. Uh, he only had 31 minutes. Uh, I, I think they were missing like what Lutz brought to the table last week. Uh, when it comes to the quick ball percentage, both of these teams were slow, 48%. Uh, and, you know, it's just considering the, the set piece percentage for New York, at the lineout, it was very impressive. Uh, and, you know, with their tackling, they had two breakdown steals uh, to over zero. So it was all about, like, how hard they played on defense. And, you know, they found a way to win. Uh, 
And, you know, I will tell the butcher this myself, but when he kicked that ball, I was annoyed because he had support runners. He just needed to run and be, pre- be prepared to offload, but it didn't, it ended up not being a bad call. And then Walshy just eventually sees that ball around the five meter and he's like, nah, we're going to, we're going to, I know it's iced because of Mike Brown with that interception, but we're going to get the bonus point right now. And I, I guess the, the, the Houston defense was not prepared and um, you know, they got the bonus point uh, when it comes to Nate Brakely, 28 tackles. He had over, he had 60 rock arrivals last week. Guess what? Guess, guess, uh, it, it, it's a large uh, number. He makes my body hurt, man. He had, so if you, so just 28 tackles, right? He had 60 rock arrivals again. Yeah. Two, yeah, 60 ruck arrivals, two dominant uh, tackles. This uh, the the fact that this man's body is still together and being as effective as it is at this at, you know, it, he's only four games in, man. You for the love of God, slow down. Somebody put a leash on this guy. Yeah, it's it it was it was something. Um but that that sort of like wraps up the whole thing from last week. I think that Houston will uh Again, needs to go like whiteboard this out because Austin Austin's going to play. They're going to play him, and it is going to be a very competitive game. I think the edge though might go to Houston, uh, since, especially since it is at home, and we've been seeing a little bit more from them. But it's going to be a tough game. So, uh, moving on into the the recap uh, of our. Uh, picks from last week. Uh, I went four and two in in our picks, but I I changed a pick, which murdered me. Um, so I had SD minus seven. It's about right. Uh, Craig died. He had Nola minus three, <laughs> and I had San Diego minus eight. Uh, and then on Old Glory versus the Ags, we all had Old Glory in this one. I changed my pick on Super Brew because I'm an idiot. Um, game three, I had Utah by three. Craig had Colorado by five. And I had Utah minus three. So I was wrong in that regard as well. So I, you know, I, I've talked to Shane Skinner a bunch, uh, over the past couple of years. And I said to him and he was mad. Like, I remember him looking at me. He's like, why did you pick against us? It's like, <laughs> with the way your luck is, if I pick against you, you're probably going to win. And it happened again. <laughs> I just thought it was going to be a trap game because I looked at the rosters, especially uh, like I guess the rosters confirmed my point of view. And the rosters had Sandy, like New England had a decent performance against San Diego the week before, and they only had two changes. Seattle's roster had like 10 changes. And little, well, little did I know those 10 changes would be the thing that would you know, get the engine running. <laughs> so, you know, like just, just make me pick against you and, and you'll win a game like that. That will happen. Um, it's the commentators curse with kickers, but just, you know, the podcast version, uh, Seattle, uh, minus seven for Craig. Good for him. Uh, and then game five, uh, I had Toronto by five. Craig had a Atlanta by three. I don't know why he thought that was a trap game. Yeah, I went Toronto minus four on that one. And then game six, well, with New York minus five. Uh, Craig went with his hometown Roosters by eight. And I was the only one who was wrong with Houston minus five. I thought when when the, when the comeback started uh, becoming close, I totally thought I was going to cash in on the upset there. So moving on to this week's picks, I think I'm going to make – uh, we, we don't have picks from Craig. That's interesting. Uh, Craig is not joining us for the show because he's he's being a stockbroker or something right now. He had a client <laughs> say, hey, um, if we're going to get this deal done, you better you better be on the call at 10 you know, he, he, he's, he's up in the New York accent, too. You know, He's making sure this deal gets done over a cup of coffee. So um, game one, 8 p.m. on Friday. We get that Friday game, baby. Friday game. Uh, 
Uh, Toronto at Colorado. Who you got? Uh, I'm going to go Toronto minus nine on this one. I don't think any upset is coming by coming to the arrows this week. Uh, so this like Toronto is they're They're going to come in for some revenge. So last year they put the freaking hope. <laughs> they put that Colorado scrum on roller skates and just pushed them down the pitch, got penalty after penalty and still lost by 22 points. <laughs> <laughs> So hopefully it doesn't snow and uh, they will, they're going to come out. I mean, both these teams aren't unaccustomed to snow though. No, it was just, it was just really funny to see how dominant they were and yet they couldn't score a point. And uh, you know, it it was just, it was amusing in a lot of ways, but uh, yeah, I'm going Toronto minus eight in this one. Don't think, especially if it's dry, and not snowed, not like there's not snow on the pitch. I I don't think Colorado is going to have uh, what it takes, but I think it'll be relatively close. Um, game so, today at four. Oh, what do you, you got questions? You got questions, Liam? What? No, I no nothing. Okay. Sorry, sorry, um, sorry to interrupt. Go moving on to the next game. Saturday, 4 p.m. Eastern, New England at New Orleans. Uh, my prediction is brought to you by Idaho Potatoes, and that's it. Uh, this pick's kind of hard, uh, to be honest, because I think that they played pretty well and uh, even like two weeks in a row. But uh, given the way New Orleans played at home, I'm, I'm going to give them – I'm going to go New Orleans minus three. They'll be close, but uh, – I'll, I'll go with the hometown team. You know, they play that gumbo rugby. Um, game three. Yeah, Austin, but we come with that chowder rugby kid. Chowder rugby. Chowder huh? rugby. So game three, Saturday, 8 p.m. Eastern. Austin at Houston. Going Houston minus four. And I'm going Houston minus six. Again, I don't I, I don't think this is going to be the game that uh, Austin gets it on track. The the battle for the battle for Texas. I am no longer. I'm just not. I'm just not picking them until they upset my pick. Mm -hmm. So fun fact: uh, the Austin uh, Austin Gilgronies, herd or elite, have never uh, defeated the SaberCats in a regular season game. Or no, wait. So Uh, no, no, no. In in season one, they did. Season one, they did. Sorry. Yeah. No. That 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 one victory was over the Utah Warriors in season one. So, um, but, uh, yeah. So, and then moving game on four, game four, game numero cuatro, uh, Utah is at Seattle. So I'm going to go Seattle minus seven. Uh, if, if Utah comes in with that same game plan as they did against, Colorado. The thing is, Colorado, Utah, I mean, Seattle healthy has more guys that can exit with kicks. So it's going to be an interesting kicking battle, but they've also got dynamic ball carriers in their back line. So I'm not sure that would be the game plan, especially on turf. Would be interesting to see what the weather is like because the weather was kind of atrocious this last week. But I would say home side minus seven. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go Seattle minus three. I think Utah has been playing a little bit better over the last two weeks, especially. I think they're going to be able to apply some pressure, especially in the set piece against Seattle. Um, But still, Seattle victory. They keep it rolling after a victory this past weekend. Game five, Sunday, 6 p.m. Eastern, ATL at D.C. Man, this is hard. Oh, oh, I don't know. I want to. Good old East Coast battle. I want to say if the beast is back, it gets interesting. <clears throat> I but if the beast say, is not back, though. Uh, I think I might go DC minus one. In yeah, this all one, right. Which, which, is, which favors, if anyone knows how lines work, we always talk about this, is actually Atlanta is favored. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's a hard pick. I don't know. 
Um, yeah, uh, so I'm going to go opposite on that. I'm going to go ATL minus five, assuming that the Beast does not come back. I think the Atlanta back line, uh, as long as they clean up some of the issues in terms of pacing and in terms of uh, in terms of depth, I think they uh, I, th- I think they're a little bit faster uh, than the the DC defensive shift has been all season. Yeah. So and then the nightcap uh, for Sunday, I'm going to go so New York at San Diego. Oof. Uh, man, if you, you think you think this could be the one that San Diego drops, it gets interesting, right? Because if Nonu and Duplessis are out, but it, if they get Augsburger back, San Diego has a lot of options. Uh, no, I'm, I'm on the edge get, of my seat, Aaron. Yeah, I would say home side by four. All right, uh, and I'm going to go San Diego minus two. Uh, you know, the aforementioned I- injuries notwithstanding, I think they're a lot better. Uh, you know, the, they're a lot better than uh, than New York in terms of offensive efficiency. They can get the ball out wide, actually keep uh, you know, and, and keep you know up a, up a series for more than a phase or two. Whereas I think New York is very stop go stop go uh, with some instances of champagne rugby that lets them put up points every every now and again, as well as some good movement, uh, you know, inside the five meter, but yeah, no, I'm 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 gonna stay with San Diego. You know, stick with what's been working. I don't think this is gonna be the trap game for them. I I I, I don't think San Diego's going undefeated either. But the the streak doesn't end here. So um, we'll move into questions. We did get some. I think we'll go fast. Uh, Martin Colin on Twitter is like. Saw in some of the broadcasts there were no flags next to the names, uh, team lineups. Is MLR scrapping that idea altogether, or will they be coming back with it? Uh, I don't know. Um, once they get them all correct, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, sorry. Yeah, no idea on that one either, man. Uh, Life, love, rugby. Thoughts on the development so far for the competition down south? Uh, do they seem to have a strong foundation, or is it all rushed? Also, what international region do you think will be the first to sign a broadcasting deal with MLR to show games in that area? Uh, as far as SLAR is concerned, I have not been following it at all. Who? We have some breaking news. Do we? William Razaleka has yeah. re-signed with Seattle. Wow, they're bringing the all the the whole gang back. No, they're, they? they're bringing put the put the band <laughs> back together. I, I want to see this movie. You know, is is like is Matt Turner like walking around to like all like the the old haunts and they're like, <laughs> "You son of a bitch, I'm in." <laughs> <laughs> I know, man. Uh, I guess Rick had a question on Facebook. I guess we we'll, we will we will yeah, talk about Rick. that. Uh, but uh, so thoughts. I, I don't. I'm, I pay attention to a lot of rugby. Uh, I'm not paying attention to slar. I do not have that kind of time. Uh, I do pay attention on the tier two rugby forum. Does it seem rushed? They've had so long to get this thing going. They announced that they were going to have a league the year MLR started. Like when the leagues when ML before MLR kicked off, they announced that they were going to have a league that would start in 2020. And they've been struggling. Uh, what what it will look like, I don't know. Um, I think that an intercontinental, intracontinental league, rather than a single country league, I understand the United States is on North America, an entire continent, and we have to traverse from Seattle to New York, Seattle to Atlanta, Atlanta, San Diego. The U.S. is 50 different countries, man. You can't convince me otherwise. <laughs> But the point is, uh, at least you don't have to get your passport checked unless you're Toronto. Um, yeah, you know, are you trying and, to tell me that Arizona's in the same country as Massachusetts? Because I hey, won't get believe your, you. Get your papers. We're stopping you at the border. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, ugh, I'm, I'm not paying that much attention to it. I think, yeah. Um, as far as an international broadcasting deal. I would love to see something with Sky Sports uh, over in Britain. We've signed so we've signed a deal for limited reruns and highlights with Rugby Pass, which is owned by Sky. 
New Zealand. So maybe New <clears throat> Zealand um, is the is the answer to that question. Moving on to Facebook, uh, Rick Meyer thoughts on the Seawolves bringing back Peter Tiberio is love it. To hopefully start winning again. Well, I love Peter Tiberio. He's an amazing guy. Um, and the fact that you just signed William Rosalika back, I guess you're uh, you know, getting the band back together. I think that kind of says a lot about injuries and depth. But uh, I mean, if you can sign Peter Tiberio off the street to fill in your depth problems, good for you because that's a great pickup. Uh, you know, uh, Scott Ferreira, the big guy. Uh, at the Rugby United supporters says this week showed travel has taken a toll on some teams in season four. So we see earlier home matches for the Northeast teams. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not so sure about that. I think we're, we're, I think they're trying to get people overall. They're trying to get people home as soon as possible because a lot of these guys have jobs. So, yeah. Um, I mean, uh, but at the same time, though, the last few years have proven that, you know, the Northeast hasn't exactly been getting pounded by blizzards during MLR season. So well, I don't think it's something that, can, you know, can be ruled out as long as global warming is taking its well, effect. Well, look at, I mean, you guys could have played some games right now. Yeah. Dude, the dude weather, it was, it was the 59 degrees. The weather's cooperating right now. Whether it cooperates in April, I don't know. But the weather is cooperating right now. Dude, we, I mean, in twice in my lifetime, there's been a blizzard on uh, on April Fool's Day. So, um, so that wraps it up for us. Uh, Corey's gonna put some legal stuff at the bottom um, of the show. Uh, thank you everyone oh, for. Hold on, hold on. So we we did have a uh, a question earlier in the show. Um, uh, will Nola Gold be a playoff team from Carter DiMaggio? Uh, and Carter, my opinion on that is. At the moment, yes, could, but that could very well change considering Nola's uh, performance from last season. Yeah, we'll see, man. We will see. I think I think they project as a playoff team. It really depends. Uh, but there are a lot of teams in the East right now projecting as playoff teams. All right. Now it's time for that Corey mumbo-jumbo. Corey! Hit it. On our way out, please note that all opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the beliefs or practices of Major League Rugby, its teams, or the league. Aaron Castro is employed by Major League Rugby. Liam Poach is employed by the New England Free Jacks. Their opinions are their own. Thank you for listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast. Connect with your hosts throughout the week on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Earful of Dirt. Or email your thoughts and questions to earfulofdirt at gmail.com. Be sure to tune in next week. Until then, get out there and enjoy some rugby.